Good morning, and welcome to Monday Mornings. With Maddie and Morgan. I'm Maddie. And I'm Morgan. I have a cat in my hand. I see that. That's adorable. She's so welcome. good. Welcome. Happy Friday. Yeah. Happy <laughs> Merry <laughs> Christmas Eve. Yes. I'm on vacation for 10 days when you're listening to this. I'm very excited. I think I am as well. I'm and then Friday to New Year's. There you go. Same. Stop. And then I go to bur- back to work for a week and then I go on vacation again. Woo! To go Where see Sophie. Oh. To go see Sophie. And go skiing. When are, are you doing that MLK weekend? Yeah. Nice. That's when I'm going to Seattle to see Lena. I mean, we're here for a not so many mini so this week. Woo. We gave you part two of Alcatraz on Monday, and now you get part three. And then I promise I'll never do an Alcatraz episode again because you're probably really sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is funny that after our hiatus, we've come back to three, three or two, two three part episode yeah. episodes. Which is something we've never even done before. I know. Of course, we both pick, like, the most absurd, long right? topics. Like, well. Oh, it well. is what it is. Hopefully you guys don't hate it. All right. So, today we get to hear about Native American history on Alcatraz. Specifically, the American Indian occupation of the 1960s. Woo! Which I had no idea was even a thing. And I'm yeah. shook because it's like a very big historical event and you know how things we also go. really quick. Yeah. <laughs> Growing up in Massachusetts, from like the get like from the jump, we were told Native American, not Indian. How come I get to college every single piece of data collected on Native Americans is under American or Indian American Indian American Indian Indian American is from India yes so what the fuck guys uh yeah I don't know this everything I read used American Indian and Native American and indigenous people like interchangeably yeah and they were all pretty recent so I figured it was a safe bet (laughs) that's the thing is it's normal and I'm not saying you're wrong I'm just saying I grew up knowing. No, I totally agree. To it that. was like drilled into our brains. <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden I get to college and they're like, "Oh yeah, like when you like look at health data and stuff, you talk about like people by their ethnicities and it's always American Indian." Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe some one of our listeners can answer. Because it really like it really it fucked wrong. with me on the inside. It feels weird. <laughs> I don't like it. Yep. When I was writing this, I was, like, trying to change all of them. And I was like, no, they use it on all of these government websites. And, like... And it's the historical t- event, too. Right. So. So, so I just wanted to put that them. bit out there. Because no, every thank time you. I- because when I was doing research, I thought the same thing. And every time <laughs> I hear it in podcasts, it always bothers me. Because I'm like, ugh, it just sounds wrong. But, yes, okay, sorry. <laughs> Oh, it's okay. We were on the same page. That's what I was thinking when I was doing research. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you said it. Thanks. (laughs) Okay, so first we're going to cover early Native history on Alcatraz just to get that out of the way. And it is important because it kind of 
is the starting point for the rest of the events that we're going to talk about. So, mm. as we highlighted a little bit in part one when we were talking about the early history of Alcatraz Island, European exploration of the San Francisco Bay began in 1542, but the indigenous people of the area were using the bay 10,000 to 20,000 years earlier, obviously. Which, yeah, that's a long time ago. <laughs> but. Early use of the island by the natives was passed down via oral history from generation to generation. Unfortunately, a lot of oral history has been lost throughout the years, in part due to the decimation of indigenous populations by colonizers. Mm. If there's no people, they can't pass down their history. Yeah. Sorry, that was dark, but it's true. That but true, yep. We can gather from what is left of this history that Alcatraz was used for gathering food, mostly bird eggs and fish, as well as a place to isolate ostracized members of society. So almost like a prison, too. <laughs> Great! <laughs> yep. if you, we talked about it in the first part of this series, about yeah. how it's literally a rock. Like, there's no... All the vegetation that's there is pretty much planted... There's no source of fresh water. It's literally just a giant sandstone rock. <laughs> so it's literally like when they sent all of the people that with like leprosy to a special island, basically. <laughs> Great, <laughs> love it. It's also rumored to have been used as a hiding place for the Native Americans that were trying to avoid the California mission system. Which I did have to look that up because I don't know anything about California history growing up in New England. Neither do I. <laughs> so the California mission system was a wide-scale effort to convert Native Americans to Catholicism and expand European territory. As expected. Yep. When the island became a military prison, not surprisingly, American Indians were also confined as prisoners on the island. From the late 1800s to the early 1900s, and obviously, as we talked about in part one, the transgressions that you could get thrown in prison for, especially as a Native person, were kind of wishy-washy. Yeah. Basically, if they didn't like you, they could throw you in prison. So, yeah. Love to well, see that's you. enough of that. <laughs> now we talk about the American Indian occupation of the 1960s. So, there were actually three separate occupations of Alcatraz Island by American Indians in the 1960s. Damn. With the most well-known being the last one, which is the one that we're mostly going to focus on, but I will co- I'm going to cover the first two. Cuz they kind of lead up to the last one as expected. Yeah. First things first, need to talk about the termination policy to really understand some of the driving factors behind these occupations of Alcatraz Island. Okay. Oh, disclaimer first is that most of this information came from Wikipedia and the National Park Service. I used a lot of quotes and rephrased them. So don't come after me, please. <laughs> I'm telling you my sources. I maybe forgot to change a couple of sentences. Don't sue me, please. <laughs> this isn't our own thoughts. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and like it's when it's straight facts like this, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to 
Oh, yeah. Like, reconfigure the way it's written. Right. Just restate a fact that's. Right. What am I going to do? Switch the chronological order? Mm -hmm. (laughs) No. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) rant over. (laughs) This is my podcast. I do what I want. There you go. (laughs) So, the Termination Act was basically the spark that ignited the giant fire (laughs) or conflagration, if you will, of. Native American conflict in the more modern era, not so much like um, the Indian Wars of the 1800s, but this, I mean, this was enacted in the 1950s, so it was a, it really covers that like 50s to 80s period. Gotcha. All right. So, I lost my place. In 1956, the Relocation Act passed under the termination policy, Mm -hmm. encouraging Native Americans to relocate to urban areas for greater employment opportunities. Greater employment opportunities. Basically, they just want to kick them out of where they were. Oh, yeah. We want those lands, so you should go elsewhere. Thank you and good night. As a result, thousands of displaced Native Americans started to arrive in the San Francisco Bay Area. These new arrivals began to organize into groups like the United Bay Area Council of American Indian Affairs and established cultural centers in Oakland and the Tenderloin neighborhood of San Francisco. Hmm. They also connected with the vibrant social movements of the 1950s and 60s, including the Civil Rights Movement and the Vietnam War protests. Nice. The Native Americans spoke out against against the termination policy and the broader plight of Native people on the reservations and in the cities. Now we skip forward to 1964, which was where our first Native American occupation of Alcatraz Island occurred. The 1964 occupation lasted for only four hours and was carried out by five Skikongu Lakota led by Richard McKenzie and his wife, Belva Cotier. This short occupation is significant because the demands for the use of the island for a cultural center in an Indian university would resurface almost word for word in the larger, much longer occupation of 1969. So the goals were the same. The execution was just not there. <laughs> so they just wanted to use the island? Yeah, basically. basically. I mean, pretty much. I mean, it really... I'll explain it more when we get to the bigger protests, but it essentially was, like, a symbol for a greater yeah, light of Native people since the beginning of time basically no, i'm just saying that's such a small battle that the U- u.s government could have just given them yeah and i'll talk <laughs> about it more later but it's one of the thing one of those things where like towards the end that's what they were arguing they were like at this point just give us the land <laughs> like, yeah oh my god i hate america they offered to trade it for 24 dollars worth of cloth and beads Good for them. That didn't work. 
<laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so now we go to November 9th, 1969. In 1969, Adam Fortunate Eagle, a principal organizer of the movement, planned a symbolic occupation for November 9th. University student leaders, including Mohawk Richard Oaks and Shoshone Banach Lanata Means, head of the Native American Student Organization at the University of California, Berkeley, with a larger group of student activists, joined Fortunate Eagle. A group of five bo boats was organized to take approximately 75 indigenous peoples over to the island, but none of the boats showed up. Oh. Yeah, they got stood up on that one. That's rude. Adam Fortunate Eagle convinced Ronald Craig, the owner of the Monte Cristo, a three-masted yacht, Ooh. to pass by the island when their own boats didn't arrive. Oaks, Jim Vaughn, and Joe Bill, Ross Harden, and Jerry Hatch all jumped overboard on the yacht and swam to shore and claimed the island by right of discovery. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. The Coast Guard quickly removed the men, but later that day, a group of students hired a boat, making their way to the island again, and 14 of them stayed overnight. Oh. The following day, Oaks delivered a proclamation written by Fortunate Eagle to the General Services Administration, or the GSA, which claimed the island by the right of discovery after which the group left the island. The, after this, the students then distanced themselves from Fortunate Eagle, John Folster, and George Woodward, who were three of the main activists that were running this movement so far. Yeah. Because they basically, these guys were, like, old. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, like, in cahoots with the local government and oh. the federal government. Which had a purpose for negotiating yeah. power but they were basically like eh, I think you're a little too close to the source that we're trying to protest basically yeah like if you're buddy buddy with them you might be more likely to settle for a lesser deal type of situation right they distru distrusted their motives because of their social position in mainstream society they planned their follow-up invasion for a time when these elder men would be away at an educational conference. <laughs> Which that part made me laugh. These elder men. <laughs> All right, now November 20th, 1969. The most important part. Ooh. First, I'm going to cover just a little overview of this main occupation, and then we'll get real into it. From November 20th, 1969 to June 1971, a group called Indians of All Tribes, Inc. occupied Alcatraz Island. Damn. This group, made up of indigenous people, relocated to the Bay Area to protest against the United States government's policies that took Aboriginal land away from American Indians and aimed to destroy their cultures. I mean, I support it. Absolutely. The Alcatraz occupation is recognized today as one of the most important events in contemporary Native American history. It was the first intertribal protest action to focus the nation's attention on the situation of Native peoples in the United States. 
Wow. When the term, quote, occupation of Alcatraz is used, it's typically in reference to this event. In the early morning hours of November 20th, 1969, 89 American Indians, including more than 30 women, students, married couples, and six children, set out to occupy Alcatraz Island. A partially successful Coast Guard blockade prevented most of them from landing, but 14 protesters landed on the island to begin the occupation. The island's lone guard... (laughs) This poor man. (laughs) Oh my god. This island's lone guard, who had been warned of the impending occupation, sent out a message on his radio. Mayday, mayday, he called. The Indians have landed. (laughs) I, I just, just wouldn't have gone to like, work. So go ahead. I just wouldn't have gone to work. No. <laughs> Not worth it. <laughs> no. I'm a conflict avoider, can you tell? <laughs> mm-hmm. Me too. At the height of the occupation, there were 400 people on the island. Ooh. Significant. <laughs> 400 versus one. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the guard left pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. I never got... I was looking for a follow-up on him. <laughs> never found anything. Oh, well. Still tied up in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> There's a skeleton somewhere. <laughs> Probably. Native women ran the school and the daycare for the children on the island. There was a health clinic with nurses and doctors and a group of people that cooked for everybody. Oh, cute. Native and non-Native people brought food and other necessary items to the people on the island, but the Coast Guard's blockades made it increasingly difficult to supply the occupants with food and fresh water, as we learned last time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The suppliers, after stealthily journeying across the bay via canoe, dropped off the supplies which then had to be carried up steep ladders, which I didn't cover before, but the whole island, like, to get up to the cell block is like this. It's, like, straight up. Like, to get up there, you have to walk straight up a hill. Great. (laughs) It's, like, a a long switchback hill. Now, then there wasn't a giant sidewalk, but... Jesus. No, thank you. The occupation lasted about 19 months, but ended peacefully. We'll get more into that later. 19 months? Mm-hmm. That's so many. Yeah. An employee of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, Doris Purdy, who was also an amateur photographer, accompanied a group who went on November 29th, so nine days after they got there, and stayed the night and recorded video footage, which is really cool. I'll get. I'll talk about this later, but there's an... Well, I kind of mentioned it last time. There's an exhibition there right now. Oh, yeah. Um, And all the, not all the video footage, but a lot of video footage and photos that she took are there. And it's really, really cool. Oh, that's awesome. The protesters, predominantly students, drew inspiration and tactics from contemporary civil rights demonstrations, some of which they had themselves organized. Wow. Yeah. Jerry Hatch and Al Miller, both present at the initial landing, but unable to leave the boat. In the confusion after the Coast Guard showed up, quickly turned up in a private boat. It oh. doesn't say how they found a private boat. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. 
Boats be boating. I don't know, man. The first landing party was joined later by many others in the following days, including Joe Morris, a key player later as a representative of the Longshoremen's Union, which threatened to close both ports of the San Francisco Bay if the occupiers were removed from the island. Oh! And the man who would soon become the voice of Alcatraz, John Trudeau. Although she would not receive the same recognition from the mainstream media as Trudeau and Oakeswood, Lanada Means, who was one of the first to arrive and one of the last to leave, organized written statements and speeches that outlined the purpose of the occupation. Fellow activist Dean Chavers said Means was, quote, the real leader of the occupation, end quote. To the media and to the federal government, Means made it clear that the occupiers wanted complete Indian control over the island under the Treaty of Fort Laramie for the purpose of building a cultural center that included Native American studies, an American Indian spiritual center, an ecology center, and an American Indian museum. I don't think that's too much to ask for. No, that sounds great. I mean, yeah. According to Means' grant proposal, the center would include full-time Indian consultants, teachers, librarians, and staff leading people around the center in order to tell the story of Indians of all tribes, which we said before was the group that was occupying, basically made up of people from all over the world, or all over the United States. Mm -hmm. The occupiers specifically cited their treatment under the Indian termination policy and they accused the U.S. government of breaking numerous Indian treaties. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> Richard, Richard Oakes, one of our key players, um, also sent a message to the San Francisco Department of the Interior. So this is really like a multifaceted protest where you have the federal government involved, you have local government involved you have everything's involved <laughs> yeah department of interior you're just like okay we got okay. this now both federally and locally <laughs> yeah so his statement read quote we invite the united states to acknowledge the justice of our claim the choice now lies with the leaders of the american government to use violence upon us as before to remove us from our great spirits land or to institute a real change in its dealing with the American Indian. We do not fear your threat to charge us with crimes on our land. We and all other oppressed peoples would welcome a spectacle of proof before the world of your title by genocide. Nevertheless, we seek peace. End quote. Damn. Boom. I know, that's a good one. That was a good one. Wow. President Richard Nickin... Nixon's special counsel Leonard Garment took over negotiations from the GSA on Thanksgiving Day hundreds of support this is 1970 now no this is still 1969 I lied on Thanksgiving Day hundreds of supporters made their way to Alcatraz to celebrate the occupation in December one of the occupiers Isani Sue, John Trudeau, who we talked about before, mm-hmm. began making daily radio broadcasts from the island, but oh. end, which ended up being dubbed Radio Free Alcatraz. Ooh. 
And in January 1970, occupiers began publishing a newsletter as well. Wow. Yeah. Good for them. And Joseph Morris, a Blackfoot member of the local Longshoremen's Union, also rented space on Pier 40 to facilitate the transportation of supplies to people on the island. Very good. A very, very well-organized protest. Yeah. <laughs> I want to join yeah. their commune. Yeah, right? I, I guess it got pretty harsh towards the end, but... Yeah, I mean, in a separate location, separate place, I want those people's planning skills for my... Commune. Right, exactly. My peaceful commune. I, I could do it without the oppression. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Cleo Waterman of the Seneca Nation was the president of the American Indian Center during the takeover. As an elder, she chose to stay behind and work on logistics to support the occupiers. She worked closely with activist Grace Thorpe and the singer Kay Starr to bring attention to the occupation and its purpose. Thorpe was one of the occupiers and helped convince celebrities like, guess, this is Nicolas Cage, Jane Fonda. Oh, back again. <laughs> Sorry, there's you, an amazing we... picture of her at the occupation. I'll have to send it to you. I love, I love her. her. Also, sorry, we had been talking about Nicolas Cage earlier. No. So... That would be amazing. <laughs> I'm not that obsessed with him. I just love him and want him to adopt me. <laughs> oh, no. You don't want to be related. No, but I want, like, to be, like, his child in, like, a non-genetic way, in, like, a financial and friendship way. I want to be, like, he his niece. Your sugar daddy. No, I just want him to be, like, my rich uncle that doesn't have children that uh, leaves me everything. Perfect. Even though he went bankrupt after buying that house and wherever it was. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That haunted house. Oh, well. Anyway. (laughs) Thorpe was one of the occupiers and helped convince celebrities like Jane Fonda, Anthony Quinn, Marlon Brando, John Winters, Buffy St. Marie, and Dick Gregory to visit the island and show their support. Hmm. Not only did Thorpe bring both national and international attention to the occupation, she also provided supplies necessary to keep the occupation alive. Thorpe supplied a generator, water barge, and an ambulance service to the island. Nice. Rock band Credence Clearwater Revival supported the occupation with a $15,000 donation. Equivalent to $99,961. In 2020. Oh, Isn't that amazing? It gets better. That was used to buy a boat named the Clearwater. (laughs) (laughs) For reliable transportation to Alcatraz. As a child, actor Benjamin Bratt was present at the occupation with his mother and his siblings. I don't know who that is. Neither do I. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) On January 3rd, 1970, Yvonne Oaks, 13-year-old daughter of Annie and Richard Oaks, fell to her death down a stairwell. Oh, my God. In the cell house of Alcatraz. 
prompting the Oaks family to leave the island, saying that they just didn't have the heart for it anymore. Obviously. Yeah, yeah you can't blame them there. No. Ugh. Some of the original occupiers left to return to school, because if you remember, a lot of them were college kids. Yeah. And some of the new occupiers had drug addictions. Oh. Some non-native members of San Francisco's drug and hippie scene also moved to the island. Yeah. Which is a bummer, but then non-Indians were prohibited from staying overnight. There so you go. They were only allowed to visit. That's better. In an interview with Radio Free Alcatraz, occupant and Sioux Indian John Trudeau lamented that water was still their big number one problem. And Mm. now rapidly their number two problem was becoming electricity. Yeah. The government often shut off all electricity to the island and made it difficult for water to reach the occupants in an effort to make them desert the island. Boob heads. Seems kind of effective. Not nice. It's very not nice. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not condoning it. But if you're trying to get someone out of there, I mean, oh yeah, like it'll definitely work. Waters. <laughs> it's just a little bit inhumane. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> After Oaks left, Lenata Means, John Trudell, and Stella Leach were challenged with rebuilding the occupation's worsening reputation. Means having been in a family that was always active in tribal politics was comfortable briefing reporters on how reservations operated or directing occupiers on island cleanup. She was really, really like the number one key player and it always gets overshadowed by the men that were involved. Of course. So screw the patriarchy. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Yep. So when Robert Robertson... Cute. Take a minute. (laughs) Love it. A Republican working for the National Council on Indian Opportunity arrived on the island in 1970, just a week after Yvonne Oaks's passing. Means took the lead in trying to negotiate the grant for the Cultural Center. Along with Means, Robertson originally met with a group of occupiers to discuss safety and negotiations regarding the occupation. He was surprised that only 10 men were present while 40 American Indian women were present and active in the discussion. That's mm. who's not surprised. Not, Me. I mean, I'm not. Nope. When the initial meeting ended, Means invited Robertson to a private dinner between her and three lawyers to propose a $500,000 grant to renovate the island. This woman is a powerhouse. <laughs> I love her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's amazing. She's so good. Robertson, however, not surprisingly, refused and would continue to refuse the occupier's proposals until finally, in May 1970, the federal government began to transfer Alcatraz to the Department of the Interior in the National Park System. Ooh! Lanada Means attempted to find several different routes to support Indians of all tribes and those still on Alcatraz. Means believed that if she could hire a high-profile attorney to represent their claim, they would win their case. However, as she traveled further and further away from the island to find supporters, rumors began that she was offered a screen test with a movie producer, therefore becoming an opportunist, which was not true. People were just spreading shit. 
I know. Rude. When she returned, she had found that Trudell and the occupation's attorneys disagreed with her approach. Ultimately, the remaining occupiers followed Trudell, the radio guy. Mm-hmm. These opposing views between Means and Trudell are only one simple example of the power struggle that was one of the main reasons for the demise of the occupation. Which is not surprising when you're isolated. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean... They're- at this point, it sounds like on top of the whole, like, cutting off electricity, the government's just kind of like, we're just going to wait them out. <laughs> yeah, basically. And if you remember from when we first talked about the basics of Alcatraz, the island isn't that big. No. So it's not like there's a whole lot of space for you to go if you start to disagree with your other people. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> Where was I? Their demands proved contradictory of each other, and their inability to see past differences and compromise proved detrimental to the occupation of the island. By late May, the government had cut off all electrical power and all telephone service to the island. In June, a fire of disputed origin destroyed numerous buildings on the island. Left without power, fresh water, and in the face of diminishing public support and sympathy, the number of occupiers began to dwindle. On June 11, 1971, a large force of government officers removed the remaining 15 people from the island. Damn it. Yeah. Though fraught with controversy and forcibly ended, the occupation is hailed by many as a success for having attained international attention for the situation of Native people in the United States. And for sparking more than 200 instances of civil disobedience among Native Americans. Woo, civil disobedience! Yeah! Finally, I have a little quote from National Park Service about the aftermath of the occupation. Okay. That will wrap things up. Mm -hmm. Quote. The success or failure of the occupation should not be judged by whether the demands of the occupiers were realized. The underlying goals of the Indians on Alcatraz were to awaken the American public to the reality of the plight of the first Americans and to assert the need for Indian self-determination. As a result of the occupation, either directly or indirectly, the official government policy of termination and of Indian tribes was ended and a policy of Indian self-determination became the official U.S. government policy. During the period that the occupiers were on Alcatraz Island, President Nixon returned Blue Lake and 48,000 acres of land to the Taos Indians. Occupied lands near Davis, California would become home to a Native American university. The occupation of Bureau of Indian Affairs offices in Washington, D.C. would lead to the hiring of Native Americans to work in the federal agency that had such a great effect on their lives. Alcatraz may have been lost, but the occupation gave birth to the Red Power political movement, which continues today. End quote. Boom. We love that for them. Yeah, and not too long ago, a couple of years ago, was the 50th anniversary of the occupation. And they still do, like, events and stuff on Alcatraz Island. They do one called, like, Unthanksgiving. So on Thanksgiving, they do, like, a ceremony thing. That's fun. Um, 
And for the 50th anniversary, anniversary they restored a lot of the old um, graffiti that was left on the island by the occupation. And so I'll put some pictures up of that because it's kind of cool. Um, and yeah, like I said before, the exhibition that's at the Red Power exhibition that's at Alcatraz right now um, also has a virtual exhibition. So it's definitely worth clicking through. Um, yes. If it's something you're interested in. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. That totally was not a mini-sode, but... <laughs> no, but it was very educational, and I mean, that's how and we so, started. I mean, I never had heard about this at all. No. I was shocked. Yeah. What the fuck, American education system? So that's Teach why I felt something. like it needed... That's why it felt like it needed its own episode. It was good. You know? Enjoyable. I'm glad you liked it. And for the rest of you, as always, stay tuned next Monday and every Monday for new episodes and the occasional Friday. Yeah, whenever we feel like it. You can find us wherever you're currently listening, but also Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Yeah, yeah. We're on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah we also have a gmail it's mondaymorningspod at gmail.com it wouldn't let me log in on my work computer earlier though so I'm kind of out of gmail right now it was it kept giving my phone um notifications and I was like I wonder if this is Maddie or I wonder if it's someone trying to hack me <laughs> no it was me and it was like enter this code on Morgan's phone I was like no <laughs> I can't <laughs> oh my gosh and yeah, start your mon- start your week the right way with Maddie and Morgan. Woo! And Tyler. Woo! Hey, and Tyler. Stop eating in the camera. 